0: This program is made possible by the members and donors to the show. For details, visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from The David Pakman Show, Counterspin, The Young Turks, The Progressive, Comedian Lee Camp, Tom Hartman, The Onion Radio News, The Jimmy Dore Show, and Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, with a bonus video clip for our Apple iOS and Android app users
1: from The Daily Show. warren buffett is now saying the super rich should pay more taxes not less and he says in a new new york times op ed which i highly recommend you look at that our leaders have asked for shared sacrifice but when they did the asking they spared me as in warren buffett i checked with my mega rich friends to learn what pain they were experiencing they too were left untouched and he brings up the fact very astutely lewis that the poor in the middle class are struggling in afghanistan americans most americans are struggling to make ends meet and the mega rich, like Warren Buffett, continue to experience the benefits of significant extraordinary tax breaks. Some of them earn billions and are able to classify the er- earnings as carried interest, only getting a 15% tax rate, which is pretty remarkable. And Warren Buffett goes into detail. He says, last year, my federal tax bill, the income tax I paid, as well as payroll taxes paid by me and on my behalf, was just under $7 million. It sounds like a lot of money, but he makes a lot of money. It was only 17.4% of his taxable income. Warren Buffett, one of the richest men in the world, certainly one of the richest in the United States, paying 17.4% effective tax rate on his taxable income. lower than in the 1980s, lower than in the 1990s. So for everybody who says America's overtaxed, for everybody who says taxes have significantly gone up, you're wrong on all counts and Warren Buffett is outlining the case incredibly clearly. Of course, David, and he's been saying this for for a little while. The problem is most of his uh ultra-rich colleagues would like to maintain the status quo. Sure, he So although and they're the ones who have the most pull over the politicians. They who will write the legislation. Significant so influence. What are you going to do? It's a good question. Warren Buffett did come together with some other of his super rich buddies and say, "You know, you, you probably should be taxing us more," and we're not talking. About not Joe the plumber, because as we know, the guy wasn't even a licensed plumber. He certainly didn't have a plumbing business that made two hundred and fifty thousand a year. But a real plumber who makes two hundred and fifty thousand a year, we're not talking about that. We're talking about the super ultra rich. So even Warren Buffett calling for that. I find it fascinating.
2: And finally, mega-investor Warren Buffett took to the pages of the New York Times on August 15th to say, once again, that taxes on the wealthy should go up right-wing outlets denounced the redistributionary rhetoric, but the rest of the media weren't always clear on the details. Here's ABC World News reporter Biana Goladriga explaining that Buffett's plan wouldn't raise much money.
3: An additional 1% tax on the richest Americans is estimated to raise $100 billion in extra revenue during the next decade. But tax experts say it's not enough for just the super rich to pay more. The bottom line is that the fiscal hole that we face is so large that everybody's going to have to be prepared to pay more in revenues in the end.
2: Now, it is true that a 1% tax increase wouldn't be enough, but that's not what Buffett is calling for. His column talked about how the capital gains rate used to be twice what it is today. There are real projections of the potential gains from increasing taxes on the wealthy. Returning the top tax bracket to Clinton-era rates would yield $1 trillion over 10 years. A New York Times evaluation of Buffett's plan estimated it could raise $500 billion over 10 years. Warren Buffett, in other words, wants a serious tax hike. ABC is trying to give him and people like him a tax break, and they're telling viewers that we're all going to need to just give a little more. There's so much that we need to share.
4: Fox News is a new talking point, which is that uh, people who are uh, Wall Street Titans, uh, uh, investor legends like Warren Buffett are socialists. Now yesterday, uh, Warren Buffett uh, wrote a New York Times op-ed saying, "For the love of God, tax the rich." So we have plenty of money, we are, we're at record low tax rates. This is unc- unconscionable. What we're doing is hitting the middle class. I pay less taxes than my secretary and everyone else at the office. It's outrageous. So um, Eric Bowling, who works for Fox uh, Business News, which is a comedy and a joke, said uh, that uh, Warren Buffett was following Obama 's quote, "socialist handbook." And let me give you another quote from Bowling. He said, "What is this? Is he completely a socialist?" This is referring to Warren Buffett. <laughs> is he completely a socialist? He's playing into Mr. Obama's hand of uh, tax anyone who makes money and give it to the people who don't work. <laughs> yeah, because Warren Buffett, who, one of the richest men in the world, who got that money by investing in businesses. <laughs> I mean, if you think of capitalists, the guy you think is Warren Buffett. He wants to help the middle class. What is he, a socialist? Why doesn't he want to take all the money for himself? Uh, this guy's a basically a traitor. I can't believe it. right? And that's not all. Ace Greenberg goes on uh, to talk with Neil Cavuto on Fox. And Ace Greenberg is a former head of Bear Stearns. And in fact, in the beginning of this intro, uh, Neil Cavuto introduced him as the most celebrated Wall Street and Titan of all time. Nonetheless, was going to disagree with them that we should
5: ever help the middle
4: class. Let's
5: watch. I, the c- rich I, 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 I could have written the, the whole op-ed piece. I've been saying it for, I can't tell you how long, Neil. I think it's ridiculous. Uh, when these people talk about that you can't raise taxes during a depression or a recession, even among the rich, that they're, they're out of touch with reality. I mean, they really think that if you raise the taxes on Warren Buffett, or on Bill Gates are gonna fire people. It's ridiculous. Most celebrated Wall Street Titan of all time, according to Neil Cavuto,
4: saying this is Warren Buffett's is a hundred percent right. What are you gonna do? But Neil Cavuto's gonna challenge him. Let's watch. Here's where I would argue with you and I wanna my thought and just see pick it apart as you do. Before we talk about raising taxes on anyone, we should look at the underlying product and whether it's worth them charging more if we haven't addressed and weeded out the costs in
5: the underlying product. But you're saying there's a negative to raising the taxes for the very rich. What's the negative? They're going to leave the country, or what are they going to
6: do? I, I, They're
7: going to fire people
4: that work for That's superfluous. I think that's not. A, I love that. That's superfluous. No, that's exactly the point. He's like, well, what are you going to do? Move to Somalia? No, this is where business is, and. I'm telling you because this is where I do business. This is where Warren Buffett does business. And we're not going to leave the country. You tax the rich, not because you want to hurt them and not because you got anything against them. Obviously, Ace Greenberg and Warren Buffett are fabulously rich. It's not to hurt themselves. It's because you need some degree of fairness so that the middle class and the poor don't pay all the bills. We're at a record low tax rate. Raise it a little bit so that we can balance the budget and we can all be better off. But Fox doesn't want to hear that. They're like, uh... I'm going to challenge you here. I don't know. Your Buffett's a socialist, and this Ace Greenberg guy talking about taxing the rich is no good. Now, why is there this disparity, by the way? It's because not all rich people are bad or greedy or uh, don't think that uh, we should, you know, have some equity in the country. Obviously, as you can tell, some are uh, making great arguments, and I've said this from day one. I say it every single time we talk about this issue. This isn't about rich versus middle class versus poor, but. They're not the ones that give money to the politicians. Ace Greenberger and Warren Buffett aren't going to say, Here, take all my money to make sure you tax me more, right? They're not going to lobby in favor of that. They just have their ideas. And I'm glad that they're sharing those ideas, it's still important. But the rich that are greedy pay people like Rush Limbaugh, Fox News, all the Republican senators and congressmen, most of the Democratic senators and congressmen to make sure that the taxes are at a record low so they make more and more money. So the rich who are greedy and use politics in the media win, and the rich who are not greedy can only go out there and every once in a while make a point and then melt away. Unfortunately, that's the state
8: of uh, our current politics. Hi, I'm Sam Cedar. You may know me from my shows on Air America Radio, from filling in for Keith Olbermann on Countdown. Or even, God forbid, my directing shows like Comedy Central's I'm With Busey. If not, you should really get to know me. Not personally, of course. I think we'd both find that uncomfortable. But if you're a fan of the best of the left, like me, I think you'll enjoy my daily live show and podcast, The Majority Report, at majority.fm. It's a daily dose of political news, analysis, and guests like Chris Hayes, Robert Reich, Digby. Comedians like Mark Marin, Janine Garofalo, filmmakers like Morgan Spurlock and Lucy Walker, and on occasion, between my rants on raising taxes, ending wars, and decorporatizing our democracy, I can be mildly amusing. I'm unbought and unbossed daily on the Majority Report at Majority.fm.
9: Liberalism is in collapse in the U.S., and social democracy is in collapse in much of Europe. Rather than social democracy, Swedish-style, swimming over the Atlantic to the U.S., more and more it looks like America has exported its primitive capitalism to Europe. Austerity is the order of the day. Governments are responding by rescuing banks, not by putting people back to work. Here in the U.S., the new normal is high unemployment and stingier public services. This is, I hope just a temporary defeat but it's a big defeat nonetheless and it needs to be recognized the power of money has prevailed at least for now it may seem irrational even from a business perspective since consumers in the US and Europe have less money to spend so a lot of businesses will make less profits at least in the short term but the largest and most powerful companies now have a global market and they cater to the top 10% of the world's population they couldn't care less about any local or home market at some point however People in Europe and in the U.S. will insist that as democracies, our governments must represent the interests of the people and not those of these powerful companies. This insistence will come in many forms, some polite and some not so polite. But it will come. I'm Matt Rothschild, and that's how I see it.
10: I'm Lee Camp, and this is your moment of clarity. The London riots showed that young people can stand up, can fight back, can stand strong in the face. overwhelming force and cannot turn down a free pair of Nike basketball shoes. Materialism is so deeply entrenched in our bones now that even for the youth, who I believe at the heart of it were rioting out of desperation, out of a belief that there is no future for them or their children, still couldn't turn down the opportunity for a television inexplicably sitting out for anyone to take just inside the smashed window of an electronic Store And bear in mind that the media hardly covers anything until it's set on fire or it hits the wealthy in the suburbs. Thousands of young people are protesting in Chile for better affordable education and have been for months. Yet how much news coverage has it gotten outside of that country? We're less likely to know how many broken legs there have been on the streets of Chile due to police brutality than on the set of Spider-Man the musical due to extreme musicality. Also remember that when poor young people act the way they did in London, stealing and destroying businesses, we rightly arrest them and call them criminals. However, when millionaires pillage the global economic system, set fire to the homes of millions of Americans by means of foreclosure, and cover their faces with shell companies, we hold them up as titans of industry, deify them and tell our children to be like them. We name colleges after them and erect bronze statues of them, and once a month, some poor minimum wage employee has to polish the ass crack of that statue. And at that moment, the billionaire knows he's won. I'm not saying the looters aren't criminals, but I am saying that most of the people who own our society are.
8: I told you that the America's biggest transnational corporations have a secret they don't want you to know about. Uh, what the secret is is that they are creating jobs. This whole creating jobs idea makes me nuts. First of all, the phrase creating jobs has just have you noticed it's like, you know, homeland. We never said homeland before George Bush became president. Hitler used to refer to Germany as the homeland. He was the first German leader to refer to Germany as the homeland. Before that, it was called the fatherland, der Vaterland, Um, and and he called it der Heimat, uh, the 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 homeland. And it was part of his blood and soil notion. You know that you are you are of this land and and follow me. I'm the leader of this. And 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 George W. Bush did this with with homeland here in the united states which ha- has offended me from day one i prefer to think of this as the united states of america not as not as a homeland homeland is something that implies a racial identity it plays right into pat Buchanan's whole thing that you know oh my god we you know whites aren't going to be the majority in the next couple of years so what's happened to the homeland the homeland of the white people. you know i arguably native americans could use the phrase harmful homeland but anyhow, this, this similarly job creators and job creating. These these are Frank Luntz focus grouped Republican talking points. Nobody creates jobs. Nobody's a cr- job creator. People hire people. Companies hire people. Companies lay off people. Companies fire people. Remember, for for probably most of your lifetime, the headlines were AT and T lays off three hundred thousand people. AT and hires twenty thousand people. You know, whatever it may be. I don't know that those were. You know, I've. I don't recall AT&T ever laying off 300,000 people, but you get the point. It was hiring, firing, or laying off, and now all of a sudden it's creating jobs like they're a commodity. Like, gee, if we could just get enough of those jobs created and handed to us, everything would be happy. No, it's hiring, and and why did they want to take it out of hiring? They wanted to take it out of hiring because hiring suggests that the employer is going to make some money off the employee, which is how it works. Jobs are not a gift that employers give to us or rich people give to us, no matter how much right wing talk radio wants you to think that. People are hired because with the work that they do creates more money for the business that they're doing it for. Period. Anyhow, the, the, the thing that the transnational corporations don't want you to know is that they are hiring more people overseas than they are in the United States, and that they're laying off people in the United States to hire those people overseas. And so what they have done is they have gamed the system. They've gotten, I don't know if it's legislation passed or it was executive orders or what, but the deal now is individual corporations have to report to the Labor Department. How many people they've hired or laid off in the United States and how many people they've hired or laid off overseas, but they do it now anonymously. So that the Labor Department aggregates the statistics. So what we know is that the largest corporations in America in the last couple of years have hired 2.9 million people in the United States and have hired 2.4, excuse me, have laid off 2.9 million people in the United States and have hired 2.4 million people overseas. Somewhere.
7: I could fly like birds on high and straight to her arms
10: I'd go sailing it's far beyond a star it's near
8: beyond the moon
11: I know
10: beyond a doubt my
12: Uh, you know what? Let's go ahead. Can we go ahead and do the clip with the Cornell West?
3: Every morning on American Morning, and this is the question we asked our viewers this morning: Do the poor share responsibility for our economic woes? And I got to tell you, I'm just going to read you a response, and then Tavis, maybe you can respond to this. This is from Stacy. She says, "Welfare, in theory, was a good thing, but it, uh, but it is now. It, ha- it but it's become a way of life for generations. The poor actually have it better." than the middle class. Tavis, do you think there's any real understanding about who the poor are in this country? So The poor
12: have it better than the middle class. So let me just say, so what the poor needs is, so what the middle class needs to do is lose some money, yeah. and then things will be going a little bit better for them. Yeah. That's what they need. Now, they need are,
11: to- are there people abusing the welfare system, absolutely, but to portray that is, that that is the, the central problem, and that—that
12: that is the overwhelming majority of people—is so. Well, uh, here's the bigger <sighs> problem. The bigger problem is if—if if you could you just play the beginning of that, Jr. That clip again, and then stop it after. I'll tell you when.
3: Every morning on American Morning, and this is the question we asked our viewers this morning: Do the poor share responsibility for our economic woes? And I okay, got to
12: stop t- it right there. That—that—that's the question. That's the question the CNN news anchor asked her her viewers. Do the poor bear responsibility for economic woe? That's the question she asked. Not like, hey, how many Wall Street people do you think ought to be in jail over this? Hey, by the way, how many people in the news media do you think should lose their job because they completely missed an economic meltdown mm-hmm. that I saw coming in 2005? I saw it coming in 2005, and I'm a comedian. Or are- They're in the business of it, yeah. and they didn't see it coming. Or are campaign contributions poisoning democracy? Right. No, the question they want to know is, hey, you know the people with no money and no power, shouldn't they get a kick in the teeth right now? (laughs) Aren't they really responsible? The people with no money and no power.
11: The the only question, Jimmy, they should be kicked in the teeth, should it be done with a
12: nice Italian loafer? Oh. That is really the only question that remains. Carol Costello. (laughs) is her name, Carol Costello, so I found it out, so can we go to the next? so she she keeps that, that's the question she asks, her viewers, are the poor making, okay, so let's go to clip number, um, let's go to 14.
3: Well, let me put it this way. Cornell, the Heritage Foundation, this is a conservative organization, they did this study. They say the poor in America today are unlike the poor in America years ago. In fact, most of the poor in America live in a decent house. They have TVs. They have microwave ovens. They even have a refrigerator. So what are they complaining about?
12: Can you cut it? Wow. Nope.
11: The, the hero, shouldn't they have just stopped at... A study of the poor done by the
12: Heritage Foundation. Why do you even go a second past that? Well, there's a problem. There's another. There's the next problem, Paul. So the Carol Costello, the journalist, who is she? Questioned. So here's Cornell West and Tavis Smiley. They're uh, trying to raise awareness to help the poor in this depression. And who does she come after? Who does she lean her journalistic skeptical eye towards? Them. Not, not the Heritage Foundation study. She's not skeptical of that. She's skeptical of them who are trying to focus our country's, uh, uh, attention on the needs of the poor and middle class. That's, she's skeptical of them. She's not skeptical of the, and that's why we have, we get went into Iraq. We're still in Afghanistan. The banks melted down, ruined our economy. You lost your job to oversee third world uh, slave laborers. That's why. Because Carol Campbell and corporate tools like her don't question the Heritage Foundation, but they question Tavis Smiley and Cornel West when they're trying to focus our attention in the middle of a depression on the poor and the middle class.
0: a month or even $55 a year. Members also gain access to bonus audio and video content that doesn't make it into the show itself. So for a concrete way to support a strong progressive voice please visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com I'm-
7: It's the Onion Radio News. A pirate is written up for dress code violation. This is Doyle Redland reporting. Local pirate Jacob Horrendous Jake Chatterton was cited today for numerous dress code violations at his job at the local Target store on Highway 18. Target supervisor Barbara Dentworth says Chatterton's blood-stained vest and poor hygiene were taking things a bit too far.
0: The vest, the filthy parrot on his shoulder, and the skull and crossbones definitely do not help convey an atmosphere that makes customers feel welcome or safe.
7: Chatterton was unavailable for comment because it's his day off at Target, and he's at his other job, sailing the high seas and searching for treasure. Doyle Redland for The Onion Radio News. Online. I am
10: sailing away.
2: Set an open course for the virgin sea.
10: Because I... Life that's ahead of me.
9: Republican politicians are unreal these days. They pushed the economy to the precipice of default, which led Standard & Poor's to downgrade the U.S. credit rating. And then the Republicans turned around and blamed the Democrats for the downgrade and for Monday's stock market plunge. John Boehner said the market fell because the Democrats refused to make the necessary cuts, though he's more aware than anyone that Obama was willing to bend way over backwards. Mitt Romney blamed the president's leadership, though Romney himself was willing to bring on a default. Sarah Palin and Michelle Bachman, the Tea Party twins, both seemed over-eager to bring on the default, and now they blame Obama, too, and ask how anyone can dare blame the Tea Party people. Well, I blame them and their paymasters. They're the ones who've been torching the economy and then blocking the firefighters from even getting to it. They opposed the stimulus, they opposed tax hikes on billionaires, they concocted the debt crisis, they then insisted on savage cuts in domestic spending, which are going to hurt the economy even more, and they're standing in the way of a jobs program, which could save the economy. They can blame Obama all they want, but they are the arsonists. You can smell the gasoline on their hands. I'm Matt Rothschild, and that's how I see it.
4: Might be in some serious trouble. As my grandma would say, whoa, what happened here? Well, he is hiring a specialist, a guy by the name of Reed Weingarten. He's a Washington defense attorney. He's represented uh, some people like Bernie Ebers uh, and some of the other top uh, people accused of fraud and serious criminal misconduct in the financial world and in the corporate world before. Now, what every analyst seems to agree with is that you don't hire that guy unless you think you're in a world of trouble and that significant charges might be coming up ahead. So now there's discussion the Justice Department might not just go after uh, deals that uh, Goldman Sachs was in, involved in on in a civil level, uh, but they might actually go after the executives, obviously including the CEO, Lloyd Blankfein, and that they might go after him not just for the deals, but for perjury. In front of Congress. Because, for example, Lloyd Blankfein said uh, that uh, they did not sh- have any major short bets against their own clients, meaning that they weren't on the other side of those transactions making money off of their clients losing money. And that's just not true. Everybody knows it's not true. The question is can you prove perjury in a court of law? And more important question is will the Justice Department even bother? And if you were laying down a bet that they weren't going to bother, that would have been a pretty decent bet throughout. Since so far, out of all of the what appears to be incredible fraud from the banking industry throughout all these years, there's only been three cases brought, and none of them were against the top executives, any of the executives at these top banks, right? So, is the Justice Department really going to bring in criminal cases against Lloyd Blankfein? Uh, be still my heart i am amazed that it's even possible nomi prince who used to be a former managing director of goldman sachs she's now on the right side and exposing all the things that goldman sachs does she wrote about how it might be more serious charges than perjury that you don't go to weingarten until unless you're in a world of trouble so not maybe not just fraud charges against goldman sachs Perjury charges against executives, but maybe even fraud, criminal fraud charges against those same executives, which be would be could be a whole different level. And it obviously, it's going to be interesting to see how that unfolds. Goldman Sachs uh, stocks are beginning to dip a little bit uh, on the news. People are significantly concerned. If Eric Holder actually does something, if he comes up out of his cave and actually does something, it would be amazing. It would be the most surprising news we've had in a long time, especially if he goes after the head of Goldman Sachs, who more than richly deserves it. So, you know, overall, here's what I got to say about that. Can't wait. <laughs> Took a while, but I got there. Have, we, yeah. have we hit campaign season? I mean, I, uh, I can say, if we, get about, if we get just over a year of serious, like, fist in the face, Policies. I'll take it for a minute. And here's what I got to say about that. Oh, very important. Now, look. Here's the thing. President Obama could actually put us in a very difficult position because we think that he hasn't done much, right? And there are still a lot of other Democrats who and liberals people who call themselves liberals or progressives who think that President Obama was awesome but they were shocked and chagrined to find out that there was political opposition and once they realized there was political opposition they thought well that's it we have to give up we can't we obviously can't accomplish much at all oh my god I didn't know there were people on the other side so anyway you know that constant battle that has been going on what, and obviously we think we're, we're right on the facts but Obama can come in over the next year not really get anything done but be like I'm such a progressive. I'm going to go get you jobs. I'm going to help Latinos. I'm going to go after Goldman Sachs and the bankers, yada, yada, yada. And then, you know, then that puts us in the top spot because then the other guys will yell and be like, see, look at all that Obama's doing. And, but what did I tell you all along? I, how many years ago did I say this? Okay. That once we hit campaign season, President Obama will be 10 times more progressive. When it comes to action, uh, when it comes to speeches and winning elections, he apparently thinks the country is very progressive because he gets much more progressive during campaigns. So you do have that to look forward to. But on the other hand, JR, look, criminal charges are criminal charges. They ain't nothing to mess with. They're a little Tang.
10: Tell
2: Republican frontrunner Rick Perry's boasts about his jobs record are often echoed by media outlets, even though it's not that hard to challenge the claims of a Texas miracle. On the August 16th NBC Nightly News, Andrea Mitchell explained, quote, Perry says his state produced 40% of all the jobs created across America in the last two years with an unemployment rate of 8.2%, well below the national average, close quote. Now, some of Perry's critics have pointed out that journalists should be talking about the unemployment rate instead of the number of jobs created, given that Texas is a large state with an influx of new residents. Mitchell does that, which is good, but then she concludes that 8% unemployment is good news. The most recent state unemployment figures show Texas in the middle of the pack in the country, and not at all well below the national average of around 9%. Well, a few days later, on August 20th, ABC World News presented a fact check on Texas jobs. Reporter Jim Avila's opener was hardly encouraging, quote, Under the governor's watch, Texas has become a jobs machine, one million new ones over the last decade, close quote. Avila even touted the new class of millionaires in Texas small towns, thanks to gas exploration, before he traveled around the state documenting all the different types of jobs available. Now, that might be interesting, but it is a fact check. At the end of the piece, viewers were told that Texas remains a state with a lot of inequality and low-wage jobs. That's true, but the core claim here, that there's a jobs miracle in Texas, remained untouched. The cowboy is singing, spurs
13: are a-jingling, as down the trail he rides.
12: You know how Labor Day got started
11: uh, it, it was Grover Cleveland's apology to the American workers for having uh, 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 soldiers kill uh, union Striker, protesters yes. union strikers so
12: that's exactly what happened and uh, to make it up to the to the workers that he sent the, Gave he, sent a day the off. he sent the military in to break up the strike and they ended up killing uh, them uh, some of the strikers and so he decided to, to try to get them to vote from he would Give him Labor Day as a national holiday. Didn't work for him. He lost anyway. What, mm-hmm. what do we get for Kent State? <laughs> Could we get a Valentine's a good, Day. Or? We got a good song from mm-hmm. Crosby, Stills, and Nash. I think we got Secretary's Day out of that. I oh. think that's what <laughs> yeah, heard. I forgot. Yeah. So here, I wanted to read quickly because uh, it's Labor Day on Monday and FDR. God, we can really use an FDR. Here's a, I'm going to read just a brief passage from one of his radio addresses about Labor Day. Okay. And he, uh, I'll, I won't try to do his voice because I can't. Labor Day in this country has never been a class holiday. It has always been a national holiday. We refuse to regard those who work with hand or brain as different or inferior to those who live from their property. We insist that labor is entitled to as much respect as property, but our workers deserve more than respect for their labor. They deserve practical protection in the opportunity to use their labor at a return adequate to support them at a decent and constantly rising standard of living.
1: <laughs>
12: Very I know sounds funny to say that, right? Can you imagine a president saying that? Yeah. There are those who fail to read both the signs of the times and American history. They would try to refuse the worker any effective power to bargain collectively, to earn a decent livelihood, and to acquire security. It is those short-sighted ones, and not labor, who threaten this country with class dissension, which in other countries has led to dictatorship and the establishment of fear and hatred as the dominant emotions in human life. All American workers and the rest of us whose well-being depends on theirs know that our needs are one in building an orderly economic democracy in which all can profit and in which all can be secure from the kind of faulty economic direction which brought us to the brink of common ruin a few years ago. There is no cleavage between white-collar workers and manual workers, between artists and artisans, musicians and mechanics, lawyers and accountants and architects and miners. Labor Day belongs to all of us. Labor Day symbolizes the hope of all Americans. Anyone who calls it a class holiday challenges the whole concept of American democracy. The 4th of July commemorates our political freedom, a freedom which without economic freedom is meaningless indeed. Labor Day symbolizes our determination to achieve an economic freedom for the average man which will give his political freedom... Reality.
2: We have plowed and we have planted, we have gathered into barns, done the same work as the men, with babies in our arms. But you won't find our stories in most history books you read. We were there, we're still here, fighting for the things we need. We were there in the factories, we were there. is loud it makes me proud just knowing
5: And finally, the New York Times' August 26th article about proposed U.S. trade deals with South Korea, Colombia, and Panama conveys a number of unchallenged assumptions, starting with reporters' persistent use of the misleading term free trade to describe such packs, which generally involve patent protections and tariffs and so on, that have nothing to do with making trade more free. But what leapt out at us was Jennifer Steinauer's formulation of support for the deals. Under the agreement, she writes, quote, American service providers would be able to compete in the three countries, ostensibly adding new jobs to the American economy. Because of this, they are widely supported by the U.S. Chamber of Commerce and other business trade groups. Clearly, ostensibly adding new jobs is a leap of faith, when there is plenty of evidence to suggest that such deals actually cost jobs. But even more presumptuous is the idea that the idea of creating jobs is what accounts for the support of the Chamber of Commerce and business trade groups. It would be shocking to learn that that was these groups' driving concern, particularly given that the story of recent years is companies' failure to add jobs even when profits soar, and indeed their glowing reports to stockholders complete with claims of million-dollar bonuses in times when they have actually laid workers off. Last we heard, businesses were interested in profits. If the Times knows otherwise, they've got a real bombshell on their hands.
0: Your shopping experience will be identical to normal. It will cost you nothing extra, but 7 to 8% of the cost of your order in soulless corporate blood money will be siphoned off and used to tremendously support the production of this show. Thanks for doing the right thing, whatever you consider that to be.
7: It's The Onion Radio News. An abandoned mall retains eerie vestiges of a fun shopping atmosphere. This is Doyle Redland reporting. The silent emptiness of Northlands Mall in Roseville, Minnesota disquieted Eric Sandvig today as he gazed through the locked glass doors of what was, in happier times, Roseville's one-stop shopping fun zone. Sandvig had this to say of the once-thriving mall's mausoleum-like stillness. Man, it's
4: really creepy. There's the Sam Goody where you could get all the hottest new releases, and right next door is the footlocker that had all your favorite gear from Nike and Adidas.
7: His nostalgic longing satisfied Sandvig continued his walk, leaving the ghosts of former fun seeking shoppers to roam the aisles of Diamond Dave's undisturbed. Doyle Redland for The Onion Radio News online.
10: Say a prayer for me. Help me to feel the strength I did. My identity has it been taken. Is my heart breaking?
13: Here is your first quote. It was one of the worst pregame shows I've ever seen. That was CNN's Alex Castellanos reacting to what big event on Thursday night?
5: I think that had to be Obama's uh, speech to the, <laughs> to the Congress.
13: Yes, his big job speech. That's right. Very good. Very good. After um, a week of preparation, the president reached up into the attic and got out his angry face which he hasn't used since someone bogarted his Chablis back in college. (laughs) He insisted that this $450 billion jobs plan would not add to the deficit and would be paid for, partly through cuts in other government spending, and the rest from a $200 billion Groupon he got from China. (laughs) But... He said to Congress, "You got to act on that now because it expires." (laughs) And of course, you can only use it if a bunch of other Western democracies also sign up. But he's hopeful. (laughs) So it's called the 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 American Jobs Act. Very straightforward, very very descriptive. Uh, This is this is an improvement. Uh, You know, they failed to come up with a catchy name for their health care bill, which might have doomed it really in public opinion. So they had to get this one right, the American Jobs Act, that's good. It was a compromise between uh, the first idea, which was the infrastructure and actualization of the Labor Initiative Revival Act <laughs> and the other idea, uh, which came from Joe Biden, it was money
5: good. <laughs>
2: You no, know, you can't accuse Obama of having a hair-trigger temper. No.
13: He's yeah. You I can, I can only imagine what his children get away with. Uh,
12: Malia, Malia, I'm giving you exactly a week and a half to stop that.
13: Exactly. <laughs> if you don't get your homework done, three years from now, I will deliver an impassioned speech about it.
2: Unless you're busy that night.
9: Barack Obama gets around to making an affirmative case for government action, he's at his most inspiring. So it was on Thursday night. In almost a direct rebuttal to the libertarian nonsense that had spilled forth from the Republican debate 24 hours earlier, Obama made the case for public goods. He talked about the value of public high schools, of our research universities, of our community colleges, of the GI Bill. It was also refreshing to hear him say that government can help, that it can make a difference in the economy immediately. He was right to propose repairing our infrastructure, funding our schools, providing jobs for returning soldiers, refinancing federally-backed mortgages at lower rates, and extending unemployment insurance. And he was right to defend regulations against dangerous corporate products, neatly saying that American workers shouldn't have to choose between a job and their safety. But his stimulus package was too small, he was silly to promote more free trade agreements, and worst of all, he insisted we needed to reform Medicare and Medicaid, thus preparing the American people for cuts and benefits that Republicans have long clamored for. He should have resisted that impulse to compromise, and he should keep making the affirmative case for government action. It's the best case. It's the only case he's got. I'm Matt Rothschild, and that's how I see it.
12: Here in Los Angeles, we have uh, about about 15 different um, food stores. Mm-hmm. But they're owned by two different, the same two companies, right? Mm. So they're, and the one company owns Ralph's, which is the most, I think, prevalent uh, food store in the South, Southland, mm-hmm. as we like to call it. Ralph, they're mm. called Ralph's, which is a funny name for a food store, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Never yeah. i thought of that before. I'm going to get i I'm going to get some food. Where? Ralph's! <laughs> I'm going to Ralph's. And I'm going to, Mike is a bowl of soup over at Puke's. <laughs> and then, uh, we're going to go for a nightcap over at Upchuck's. So, uh, so Ralph's is the place. And, uh, Ralph's is uh, screwing over their employees again. Now, Ralph's, let's remember that they made, uh, I think they're owned by, they might be, even be owned by a hedge fund at this point, but they made $3 billion profit mm-hmm. last year. So that food uh, organization... Even though
6: I always used my Ralph's Club card a year, and I got discounts every time and they still made that kind of You're money? You're sticking
12: it to them uh-huh. and they're still making the big money. Mm-hmm. Okay. So um, so they're trying, they're, they're trying to screw over their employees again. They want them to pay... An extra about an extra eleven hundred dollars more a year out of their paychecks for their health care, mm-hmm. which they had already previously negotiated, but now the company wants mm-hmm. to screw them out of it. So, an eleven hundred dollars more a year might not seem like a lot, uh, and it's really nothing if you think about it. And you own a chain of supermarkets, <laughs> so uh, and the So the union's threatening a strike, and the company says they're willing to negotiate in good faith for as long as it takes the union to cave. <laughs> right. Sounds about right.
13: But yes. well,
6: don't they uh for their health, instead of a health plan, shouldn't they just not eat at Ralph's? Instead of a Well, they do have <laughs> in some in lieu of a health plan. In yeah. lieu, they have they do
12: have some healthy stuff at Ralph's. Mm. But uh so uh, so ABC, the local ABC news, uh they took a camera down to Ralph's to ask uninformed people about how they feel about the whole thing. And uh let's listen to what some of the customers have to say.
9: Everybody's gotta give right now.
2: And um, I, I can't even tell. I don't even want to say on air how much I pay for my health care.
12: Everybody's got to give right now is what that lady says. Everybody's got to give right now. Um, let's there's one more lady. Let's let's hear both. These ladies. There's another lady who has something to the
9: say. The strike is not right. We have enough problem in California and this add more problem.
6: Yeah, that's right. The strike mm. is not right. We have enough. Did front. they talk to anyone that supported the strike?
12: Um, they did they did talk to two people, but i don't have that i don't have those mm-hmm. clips so they had two people who were like that mm-hmm. against the strike and then two people who said they should uh, mm-hmm. uh they were before the strike and uh, and and let me just ask the question: why will the Republicans always manage to have a minimum of fifty percent in America why? Because these ladies are the quintessential voters. Mm-hmm. I don't get to have affordable health coverage in, in the wealthiest country in the world. And instead of seeing the injustice in that and supporting uh, people who are trying to turn that around in this country, mm-hmm. she goes, I'm going to see the injustice in other people getting right. better health coverage than me. That's the real injustice. So if I don't get it, they can't get it.
6: What's great about this country to her is, is being able to buy Hot Pockets. <laughs>
12: <laughs> right? Well,
6: yeah, I
11: think that's one of the the thing when you pride your nation and and listen, I'm 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 not bashing our country. I I love Why our not? country. Uh, get out. Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> Why um, not bash it? Uh, just me. When competition and being number one is so completely ingrained into everything and in, in, in our society, it can't help but come back and bite you in the ass in certain places. And I think people a lot of times instead of rooting for your fellow man. You want to make sure that you're doing better than, than them. And so naturally you're going to get things like this where this woman, it doesn't want somebody else. Yes. having affordable health care coverage.
12: And it's kind of, it's kind of almost like Paul, like uh, it's like thinly veiled racism in a sense like uh, uh, it, it certainly is class- it's classism. It's classism and where cuz this lady cuz like you know she's going to go uh, wait a minute I I'm white and I work in an office and here are people who work at a grocery store and they have better health benefits than me. Yeah. That can't be. Right. So mm. if I've got it bad everyone who I perceive myself as being lower than me in the economic uh, world has to have it worse than me right. and uh, not that oh wait a minute if you work at a grocery store you can have health benefits well i should have health benefits i work in an office like it doesn't work yeah. that way for her brain yeah. it yeah. goes the opposite way mm-hmm. right and i wonder is that
11: just natural human instinct to be that way or is that because of the country we live in
12: um i think it's both yeah i think that it's the uh right now you have the uh the plutocracy that runs this country uh putting out a uh, you know th- their value system that they are blanketing the country with is that if you don't have what you need, it's your fault. You're lazy. You're irresponsible. We've heard Bill O'Reilly and right, Lou Dobbs say that. Right. We've
6: heard everyone say that.
12: Right. So if you're if there's something wrong with you, if you don't have a job, it's because you're lazy, right? You don't. They want right. to be on unemployment. If uh, and if you don't have your health care, it's your own fault. You don't. You don't have a good enough job. I had a cop in Los Angeles tell me. Uh, that if you don't have health care, maybe you should get a better job. I go, what about all those people who work at Walmart? The biggest retailer in America doesn't provide health coverage to the most of the people who work for them. What are they supposed to do? And he's like, well, uh, they're not, not uh, smart enough to get a better job. That's what they deserve. Mm-hmm. That's what they deserve. Wow.
6: So there is a certain amount of – So it doesn't matter if you're not working um, and you're on unemployment, you're a bum. And if you have a job at Walmart, you still don't deserve anything,
12: right? Yes, because you're still you're still not morally as good as someone else because, because you didn't go to school right, and get poor. enough schooling.
11: And we, yeah. and we ju- justify the war in Iraq because it's going to make Americans safer, and yet Whoa. when we are actually literally unsafe because of our health, right, we won't spend the money right. to make mm. us self. We will we will pour billions into the possibility that we'll be unsafe. But we won't pour a dime into making sure that we are literally
12: safe Mm -hmm. when it is imminent. You're making the point that a, a lot of soldiers have come back from America have have made the point that you know. Uh, there was no Iraqi who ever tried to kick an American out of their house. There wasn't an Iraqi who tried to deny someone health coverage. Those came from people who manipulated the stock market uh, inside of America. It's Americans who deny, Americans who who are kicking people out of their own houses. It was Bank of America. It's not an Iraqi. It was, uh, it was Blue Cross who was denying people coverage for their illness. It wasn't an Iraqi. Goldman Sachs
6: has hurt this country more than Al Qaeda could ever dream of hurting. And if our country had any sense of taking action all of the people at ralph's would rush over to gelson's and beat the crap out of those people
12: (laughs) yeah uh it's and how about the lady who says there's enough problems and we already have enough problems we don't Mm. like like as if a strike isn't an attempt to solve a problem right right like it's uh, that's just another problem yeah and and i uh
1: not having health care is not a problem apparently
12: yeah, and, if to, and apparently that's not a problem. That's then. not a problem. not being able to pay. For everyone it. has to give right now, yeah. and, and that lady saying everyone has to give right now, it's like,
10: What's do you that realize
12: that, that the mean, cost man? of health insurance doesn't go back down after mm-hmm. a while? It's not like we have to pay a little bit more for a few months or even a few years. It stays that way for for everybody. It doesn't. It's never gonna. It's never gonna go back down. And the fact that she views this as a temporary sacrifice should have told that reporter. That she was too stupid to give an opinion. But as with most local news, it seems to be your main qualification for a man on the street comment is that you don't know what the hell you're talking about. Mm. But she was upset because her, her health care was too expensive. Yeah. That, that's what she said. I She's, don't want to tell you. So why should these sons of bitches right. get a better deal than Exa- me? The exact right. opposite of what she should be saying. It's like, right. yeah, we're all getting screwed now. So I'm going to stand with these people. Yeah, And
11: that's that competitive uh, right. thing that is is tearing
12: our country apart. It's turning worker against worker.
10: Chicago Land. I was just calling, not necessarily to get played in the show, but because I wanted to uh, have I have a request for a show idea. It was be on immigration, with uh, the the GOP debate happening this past week, and Rick Perry talking about putting boots on the ground at the border, and just all the all the ridiculous things that were brought by the gop candidates and then the news that came out that the new mexico governor whose grandparents were undocumented that she wants to deport all undocumented uh immigrants and is against the dream act it just seems that like there's a lot going on in the news right now and i know that citizen radio and sam cedar when he gets hosted countdown they 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 had good things to say about it so uh, just letting you know that uh I would love to hear, of well, course it's worth that, I would love to hear a show on immigration reform. And thank you, I love this show, and back.
14: Hi Jay, this is Earl from Nashville, Tennessee, and I'm just calling to recommend a couple of documentaries that I saw recently. I know they're both on Netflix Instant Watch, but I'm sure you can find them plenty of other places. The first one is called Boogeyman, and it's about Lee Atwater, who ran George H.W. Bush's campaign for president, um, and the other is So Goes the Nation, which is about the 2004 presidential election. It focuses mostly on Ohio, but the basic takeaway message from both movies is that Republicans are completely willing to go negative in their campaigns and focus almost entirely on personal attacks, and the Democrats don't do nearly enough of a good job responding to those attacks they tend to try to stay above those personal problems and and focus mostly on the issues but you know the less you address something the more people just start to accept it as being true uh thanks a lot i don't have a
13: fax nor do I actually have any facts to share. I just wanted to say, my God, Jay, this is uh, Jonathan from the West Coast of uh, Portland, Oregon. I, that last show on the 11th was super frickin' fantastic, man. You did a great job, dude. It was really, really good. The musical selection, all of the clips, spot on, man. You do a great show. And I just renewed my membership for next year.
10: Yay! Shut up, guys.
13: Sorry, I have little gnomes that cheer for me at the top. Have
0: a great day, man. Peace. Thanks to listening, everyone. Thanks to all those who called into the voicemail line. If you would like to leave a comment, question, or activist call to action yourself to be played on the show, the number to dial is 206-202-3410. So for those who heard the, uh, the most recent episode and listened all the way to the end and heard my comments, I I basically did a a pre-bottle to a theoretical progressive Christian uh, because I was guessing as to how they would react uh, to to that episode on religion. And it turns out that 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 theoretical uh, progressive Christian was actually named Zach because Zach sent in an email that uh, started off saying uh, very nice things about the show and then transitioned into... Uh, however, I was not so happy with your podcast. Admittedly, I didn't finish it. However, that was mostly because I didn't really see the use in it. He goes on to uh, to explain that he's a progressive Christian, his Christianity uh, informs his politics, and he's essentially a socialist because of it. And, uh, and so I, I really tell this story only because uh, Zach gave me the opportunity to send what I think might be Uh, one of the creepiest emails I've ever been able to write. Because he sent me an email before uh, listening to the end of the show, I was able to respond, quote, Thanks for the note, Zach. Your email was foreseen, and, in fact, I've already responded to you. You would have heard it if you'd finished the episode. Stay awesome, Jay. Uh, Which I just got a kick out of. So, and then, of course, Zach turned out to be a a perfectly, well, I mean, it was obvious from the beginning, he was a perfectly lovely guy. And we had a a short exchange, and he uh, did end up finishing the show and appreciated it, and that was uh, all fine and good. Secondly today, I just wanted to mention uh, something that I brought up, uh, you know, an episode or two ago. Uh, th- there was the idea put forward uh, by a- an emailer saying that wouldn't it be great if uh, you know I- anyone listeners could uh, send in their own content to be played on the show, potentially, you know maybe they have it in their head like, hey, I'd like to start a show, but ah, that's so much work and you know but I, I could talk for f- five to eight minutes and do a little commentary on something. Well, they can do that, send it in to me, and if it's good enough, become you know, part of this show that could potentially uh, you know launch them into a, a brand new uh, career starting their own uh, spin-off podcast or something like that all sorts of uh, great things. Well, one thing I meant to mention in that in that first uh, call to action was uh, one rule that's that's in place not you know not because I feel like making rules but because you know it's for your own good and for the sake of the quality of this show and and so forth is that uh, submissions which are Uh, scripted to the word you know written out and then read will almost certainly be rejected immediately out of hand Um, and and so this this is just kind of a a rule of thumb that should be taken into consideration pretty much any time you you want to give a a speech or lecture or anything like that in my personal opinion is uh, you know bullet points are great they keep you on track and uh, scripts are terrible because they make you sound like you're reading. So this goes for anyone who wants to submit anything to the show to be played as you know like actual content for the show. And it is also just like a friendly piece of advice to anyone who wants to send in a voicemail. The people who uh, you know send in voicemails where they have obviously scripted what they're going to say, I totally, totally get the impulse to do that. But I will tell you, at least for me personally, when I hear someone talking like that, I I immediately lose focus and I, I lose my ability to pay attention to what they're saying because I'm so distracted by the fact that they're reading. And so it's for that reason that if you were to submit content uh, where you're just reading, I, it's I'm almost certainly not going to put it on the show with some incredibly rare exceptions because I just... I just can't listen to that stuff. <laughs> so you could be saying some of the best things in the world, but I, I just find it practically unlistenable. In any case, it'll be interesting to see what kind of submissions I get, and uh, we'll go from there. If you are on a Mac, the, the best uh, audio editing software you can use is GarageBand, that's what I use to make the show. And if you're on a PC, a uh, good, uh, free audio editing software is called Audacity, just Google it. That's for anyone who wants to you know, record on their computer, try to clean it up, those sorts of things. Uh, anyone else can just simply call into the voicemail line. So that's it for today. I just want to thank a couple of members, as I always do. Paul L. signed up for a Leftist Yearly membership back on April 9th and has stuck with the show. Oh, wait, April 9th, 2010, and has stuck with the show uh, for more than a year. So huge thanks to Paul and Scott B., Uh, essentially in the same situation, signed up on June 5th, 2010, also as a leftist, signed up for uh, a full year in advance, and, uh, and both of them have had their accounts renewed. So huge thanks to Paul and Scott and all the members and donors who make the show possible. I couldn't do it without you guys. Of course, everyone can support the show by telling everyone you know about it and helping spread the word of the show, especially by sharing the individual clips online uh, You know, via Facebook and Twitter and every other social media outlet you can imagine. Uh, details on that are on the website, all the really easy-to-use buttons to just uh, to share individual clips that way. To stay tuned in to the show between episodes, you can join up with us on Facebook and Twitter directly, and you can even donate your Facebook and Twitter accounts to help us spread the word that way. It is incredibly easy and simple and explained uh, just by clicking through the Donate Your Account banner. And for details on the show itself, including links to all the sources and music used in this and every episode, all that information is always posted in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from far outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast coming to you 11 times a month. Thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com.
6: burning on a shining sheet, the only maker that you want to be, a dying man in a living room, who shadow bases the floor, we will take you out any